The Right Stuff with Kevin and Casey. Episode 2. Wait, you're praying to saints? Hey there, I'm Kevin. And I'm Casey. And you're here for the second episode of The Right Stuff. Uh, Today we're going to be talking a little bit about why do we pray to saints, or I guess more appropriately, Casey, I should say, why do we pray with saints? Yeah, um, and that's that's a common misconception. I hear a lot of non-Catholics think that we worship saints um, because we um, sometimes might say we pray to them, but really what we're meaning by praying to them is we're praying with them. Right. They intercede on our behalf. We ask them to pray with us in that sense. So we'll totally get to all of that in a minute. Um, We talked a little bit about on our first podcast about being a part of the RCIA team at the Cathedral of the Incarnation in Nashville. And I'm actually director of RCIA there. RCIA, if you don't know that, is the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. And what that basically means is if Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo walks in off the street and they know nothing about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or a church... Uh, those of us on our team at the cathedral, as with any Catholic church that has an RCA process, basically introduces them to a faith life. Mm-hmm. And they get a chance to um, discern as an adult, uh, is this the place for me? Right. So I'm the director of that, and Casey's been on the team for... Mm, two years? Two years now? Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we, had a little, we had a little pause because of COVID, obviously, but now we're back at it full swing, um, and we're doing good. So as with every episode, I think we're going to make our cocktail first. And today, the saint of the day for September 1st is St. Lupus, and that cocktail is called a diamond cocktail. Oh, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Most definitely. And it sounds really (laughs) good because, uh, you know, we're both kind of gin people, and it takes... uh, I love gin. An ounce and a half of gin, an ounce of lime juice, an ounce of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of grenadine, champagne. Oof. And sugar to taste. So this sounds like it's going to be a really great thing. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about St. Lupus. How about, shall we? Yeah. yeah. Let's, so uh, St. Lupus of Sens, the son of Blessed Beto and St. Agia, whose feast is also on September 1st, uh, was a member of the Royal House of Burgundy and the Archbishop of Sens. He is often depicted in Christian art with a diamond because a precious stone once fell on his chalice as a sign of divine favor wow. while he was celebrating mass. He's a special man. He really is. Yeah. St. Lupus is also associated with the wine region of Champagne. And since the Counts of Champagne made pilgrimages to the magnificent church where his relics were kept, St. Ludenon, which is also now the name of the town, uh, in fact, quite a few places in France are named after St. Ludenon, Although some of them were also named after Saint Louis de Troyes, Saint Louis de Bayeux, Saint Louis de Limoges, Saint Louis de Soissons, and Saint Louis de Chalon en Champagne. Oh, you sound so Ooh, sexy! That's pretty, wow, pretty, that's a pretty foxy romantic, accent, right? Yes. Absolutely. So um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of churches around that Champagne region were actually named after him because he was a pretty influential saint. Yes. In France in the five and six hundreds, there. So um, yeah, uh, basically. Um, he was an archbishop of Burgundy. So there's also uh, another cocktail that you could make called Burgundy Bishop, which involves rum and lemon juice and simple syrup and Burgundy wine or a Pinot Noir, which is basically a Burgundy that's not grown in France. Like, you know, we get Pinot Noir mm-hmm. in Oregon and on the West Coast. Uh, 
Burgundy grapes. They're the, the same kind right. of thing. So you could make a cocktail of that. But we've chosen the diamond cocktail today. So uh, Because I'm just more of a gin drinker. There you, you know, go. Rum is okay, but I prefer gin. I completely agree. We're going to get to a rum drink, probably a tequila drink, a wine drink, a whiskey drink at some <laughs> point in time. But past two have been gin, and, and we love it. So Casey and I are going to make our cocktail. And, uh, yeah, if you want to uh, check that out, you can look at our YouTube channel and get a chance to make that cocktail with us. Pause the podcast and come back. And, and join us. Absolutely. For we'll a be, diamond cocktail. Diamond cocktail. We'll be ready for you. <laughs> okay, so Casey and I have our diamond cocktail in hand. and, and It's we're, beautiful. It is, isn't it? The champagne <laughs> makes it. It does. Sparkly always does a good thing. So, yeah, yeah uh, I love something shiny. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, since it's a French saint today, I think we should salute. Salut. Salut. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. And we're ready for the cocktail. And, um, you know, we couldn't get through an episode without having kind of a, a silly dad joke, right? Here so, we go. Here we go. So, uh, what you got today? Uh, this is in honor of another member of our. RCAA team. She tells this joke all the time, and it's one of my favorites. Um, how do you make holy water? Um, like, to be punny? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, to be punny. <laughs> it's a joke. How do you make holy water? Um, but uh, I don't know. Okay, so you boil the hell out of it. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that is good. That's like better that. than last week. I like that. So, okay. I was going to say, demons come out. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so kind of before we get into our subject matter, I just want to do a shout out to Michael Foley, who wrote this wonderful book that we use all the time for all of these recipes called Drinking with the Saints. It's the Sinner's Guide to a Holy Happy Hour. Right? Uh, and we right? love that. And, and we, we love a love good it. happy hour. Like, it, it, it's good. Um, it gives us a chance to sit down and relax. And, you know, we talked about that lovely uh phrase by Mitch Pacwa last week from EWTN. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, one of the things that we have to realize, uh, and we'll get into this someday in this podcast, when Jesus and Mary and several of the apostles were actually at the wedding at Cana, mm-hmm. um, which in the Catholic Church is a big deal because it's, of course, Jesus's first miracle. And yeah, Mary urged him to convert that water into wine. Um, if you know anything about an amphora in history, those giant clay vessels held between 30 and 50 gallons. And so um, when you think about the amount of amphora that he mm-hmm. changed water into wine, those peeps were partying. They knew how to party in Cana. They did. They really did. I am telling you. <laughs> uh, because, um, you know, we think, we often think of it, some of our non Catholic friends, um, we have another member of our team that her dad is a deacon in the Baptist church. And she said that oftentimes, you know, it was presented like more like a party trick. Like Jesus took one glass of water and was like, da, 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 and made, right. He literally did a glass of wine. No. Uh, like Houdini. Yeah. Yes. But all of the amphora, 30 to 50 gallons were changed into wine. And if we follow the story in scripture, we know that the wine steward says, usually People serve the good stuff first so that the inferior mm-hmm. stuff won't be noticed by the, the guests. I mean, don't we kind of do that today? We do. I do. But you know, <laughs> but you know what that means? You've had enough. That uh, you don't know the difference. That you don't know the difference. Yeah. However, the wine steward noticed the difference that what Jesus converted from water to wine, um, it was actually better. Right. Um, they were partying. That's all I've got to say. So one of the things that is is 
absolutely integral to our podcast and some of the society that we we relish ourselves in is the fact that cocktails are a very fun way for people to loosen up and have mm-hmm. a fun time and get a chance to chat. So um, if you're feeling like that's a negative thing for you, um, it's probably not. Mm-hmm. It's probably not. I think right. it's a really good thing that you can sit down and have what what whatever it is that you like. You don't have to have a cocktail with us. If mm-hmm. you want to pour yourself a little bit of your favorite bourbon over a nice round ice cube, because mm-hmm. you know we established Casey yes, makes the best ice cubes. I sure do. Um, if that's what you want, <laughs> it doesn't have to be, you know, the cocktail of the day that we're using here. Uh, we're just kind of going by what makes for our saint day. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. And, I mean, we do cocktails all the time anyway. We, we're, I mean, we love our vintage cocktails. Absolutely. And we just love the flavor of, um, of cocktails. Agreed. Of alcohol. Agreed. So... Kev, what makes somebody a saint? A saint. Well, that's a good thing for us to establish before we actually start into the meat of our matter today, uh, simply because we're going to be talking about saints and prayer. Um, A saint has to be a person, like you have to be born a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to physically die to the shell that we're in right now, Okay. and your soul winds up being in heaven. Anybody that is in heaven, is a saint. Okay. And, you know, we think of popular saints like St. Francis and St. Anthony and all these people that happen to be Mm -hmm. named saints, St. John. Uh, There are people that are in heaven that the Catholic Church hasn't put a name on and said that they're saints. But if you are no longer alive in an earthly shell on this planet and you have gone to heaven, you are a saint. Sure. Right? Um, One of the other things that the Catholic Church teaches uh, is the fact that, um, you know, we're basically one church. So if you are somebody who is here um, on this planet and you're trying to get to heaven, we belong to something called the church militant. We're fighting to get there. Mm -hmm. But if you're in heaven, you're part of the church triumphant. You've done it. You got there. Um, We're still the same church. The The Catholic Church believes that we're the same church. Therefore, you know, uh, why not? These people can hear everything we're doing. They know what's going on. Yeah, I like to think that my grandparents are still keeping an eye on me. Right. And praying for you as well, right? So uh, why don't you uh, have a sip of your cocktail and we'll be back with the heart of the matter here in just a second. Episode two. Wait, you're praying to saints. So, case um, we've already established that to be a saint, you have to be dead and you have to be in heaven, right? And that you have to be a part of the church. And we here are the church militant fighting to get to heaven, and the folks who are in heaven are the mm-hmm. church triumphant, and they're there, right? Right. And um, here's uh, something that I found: the historic Christian practice of asking our departed brothers and sisters in Christ, though the saints. For their intercession has come under attack in the last few hundred years. Though the practice dates to the earliest days of Christianity and is shared by Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and other Eastern Christians, and even some Anglicans, it still comes under heavy attack from many within the Protestant movement that started in the 16th century. Yeah. 
Uh, understand that basically the past 500 years of Christianity changed everything that the first mm-hmm. 1500 years did not. Right. And so if we look at the fact that Christ died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago, the last 500 years ago is just 25% of Christianity. And all of the things that have happened that are contrary to the early church happened Mm -hmm. in that last quarter of Christianity. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. It really is. That's um, mind-blowing. I think one of the big things is like, you know, can saints hear us? Can they hear us, right? So, mm. um, well, I hope so because I talk to them <laughs> absolutely <laughs> a lot. And hey, you know, even if you look at like the movies and stuff, oftentimes you'll see somebody standing at a graveside, or sure. you'll you'll have somebody like some girl uh, communicating with her mother who is no longer around, saying, "Oh, Mama, if only you were here and you could hear what I have to Why say." Why does she and have to be me. Southern? Cat? I don't know. It's just kidding me. <laughs> but but the whole point is like. Even when we don't think that we're communicating it with those saints, right? People tend to want to talk to those who have gone before them. Sure, I still do. I still talk still to my here. grandparents. Yep. I still talk to my loved ones or relatives that have passed. Of course, because um, they're still here. They're still here, and I hope that they can hear me. And we can kind of think about that if we're a church. We're one church. We're the church militant fighting. They're the church triumphant. They've made it. We're still the same church. So. They can somehow know what's happening with us here sure. on this on this earthly plane. So there's still a connection. Yeah, there, and there always will be um, that connection. Uh, one of my favorite priests from um, the cathedral. He's now at Saint Philip in Franklin, Father Ed Steiner. Mm-hmm. During his homilies for funerals, he would always say, "If I ever hear you say I loved someone because they're gone." Um, he was going to hunt them down and like change their attitude simply because when do you stop loving somebody? It's a great point. Like if your grandparents still yeah. aren't around, do you stop loving them simply because they're not around? No, love's a two-way street. You love them still, mm-hmm. but you know what the good news is? They still love you. Right. And that's beautiful. Yeah. It never stops. There's a communication level there that that you know we can't. We can't stop. We can't keep from happening mm-hmm. just because death has occurred. Sure. Right? Sure. So um, an often misconceived thought is that uh, saints in heaven can't hear us and can't hear our prayer, prayers, making it useless to ask for intercession. Right? Mm-hmm. And scripture indicates those that are in heaven are aware of our prayers of those on earth and this can be seen in Revelation 5.8, where John depicts the saints in heaven offering our prayers to God under the form of golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. But if saints in heaven are offering our prayers to God, obviously they're aware of our prayers here, right? So They have to be. Uh, people might try to argue that in this passage the prayers are being offered. Um, we're not really addressed to the saints in heaven, but directly to God. But this argument would only strengthen the fact that those in heaven can hear our prayers for then those saints would be aware of our prayers even when they're not directed at them. How do they know to offer those golden bowls of incense if they can't hear us, even if those prayers are directed to God? That's, That's a really cool thing. That is really cool. Yeah. Right? So that's great. Um, but there's only one mediator, though, between us and God, right? Like, they can't... And I hear this a lot. They can't, how, how or why are we talking to them to work on our behalf? 
for God? Why are we not just going directly to God? Right. We hear a lot of times our non-Catholic brothers and sisters say that praying to those saints violates the sole mediatorship of mm-hmm. Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And Paul even discusses that. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And we hear that in First Timothy, right? Right. Um, but asking one person to pray for you doesn't violate Christ's mediatorship. Like, it can be seen as a way considering that Christ is the mediator, but we're all part of the body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So... And I ask you to pray for me. Absolutely. All the time. I and say, I ask you to pray for me. I do. And so, do. if we're all part of the same church... So what's any different for asking you to pray for me than asking one of our brothers and sisters that might have gone before us. Right. Whether or not we knew them in this human life or we didn't. Right. We're part of the same church. Therefore, um, we're asking for prayers that happen to be intercession. Mm -hmm. They're interceding on our behalf. And one of the things that we always have to understand is the fact that God is God of the living, not God of the dead. So those people in heaven are very much alive as we are. Right? So I'm not right. asking a dead person to pray for me. I'm asking someone who happens to be alive in Christ to pray for me. Right? That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but we'll hear often that like Christ is the only bridge between the two lives, between heaven and earth, right? Um, and he's the only God-man. But that role as mediator isn't comprised in the least by the fact that we ask others to intercede for us. Um, Christ is a unique mediator between God and man because... He's the mediator of the new covenant. Like we see that in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 12, just as Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, which we see in Galatians 3. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've got this new this new mediator. The one thing about the new mediator, he has a whole body of people working for him on right. his behalf. All of us. And we can all pray for one another as that church in heaven can pray for us as well. Sure. Um, the intercession of other fellow Christians, like, you know, we, you know, uh, we ask everybody to pray for us all the time. We, th- we don't even think about it. I don't mm-hmm. think we'll ask our friends to pray for us. Like my mom is 91. Sometimes she has great days. Sometimes she doesn't have great days. And all of my friends, I'm always like, pray for my mom. Mm-hmm. Well, when we get to the end of our RCIA session right. every Thursday night, it's one of my prayers. Pray for Kevin's mom, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's old and she just needs those prayers. Um, But that's what the saints in heaven are always doing for us. And it clearly doesn't interfere with Christ's unique mediatorship because in the four verses immediately preceding 1 Timothy 2, uh, 2, 2-5, I should say, Paul says that Christians should intercede. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in high positions that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life godly and respectable in every way. This is good and pleasing to God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Clearly then, intercessory prayers offered by Christians on behalf of others is something good and pleasing to God, not something that infringes on Christ's role Mm -hmm. as the mediator, right? Right. Does that not make sense? It does. Okay. So, you know, it's one of those things where we have to establish the fact that God is God of the living. If he's God of the living, that means everybody who happens to be in heaven 
is alive. Right. Everybody who happens to be here on this earthly plane is also alive. And I'm about to open a first can of worms here. Here we go. Everybody in purgatory is alive as well. <laughs> but we're going to get to that in a whole separate episode. Oh, you just heard the P purgatory. word. The P word. No. What is that, right? Yeah. Um, which is the church suffering. So there's yet another part to the church that mm-hmm. is the whole church herself. Um, but... What we do for one another, whether it's you and me sitting here in this room asking each other to pray for something that we need or something that we want or something we're thankful for, is no different than asking a saint in heaven to pray for us. Yeah, that's beautiful. It intercedes on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And whenever two or more are gathered, right, it's really important that we know that. It is. So that's great. Um... But something that comes to mind that I've been asked or Mm -hmm. that I've heard are that some people think that Catholics are necromantics. So um, we're asking for the dead to pray for us. Sure. Doesn't that seem... Scary? Yeah. Like, no. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like no. Like, no. No. Um, (laughs) Understanding, if, if we use the word necromancy... Um, we're trying to say, for those of you that have no idea what that word means. Because I only knew about five minutes ago. Yeah, it's like it's literally like <laughs> conjuring up the dead. So you go to a seance and you're you're like trying to conjure like dead people up. It to, almost seems satanic. It well, yes. If 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 you're dealing with necromancy, it is. Okay. It's something that's beyond the uh, beyond the scope of God. We've already established, and it's a seed to plant. So if this is not something you believe or it's not something you've ever been taught, understand. That anybody who has been alive, any person that has a soul, they've been born, they're on this planet, they die, they are not dead. They have an eternal soul, which means that soul ends up going to heaven, and that means they're just as alive as we are. They just happen to be alive in Christ in a different plane of existence than we here Mm -hmm. are on this planet. Sure. So we're not conjuring the dead. We're conjuring the live, right? Is if, if <laughs> right. that's how you want to put it, right? I mean, we're literally conjuring the live. So, if we ask, uh, you know, those fellow Christians in heaven to pray for us by declaring that God uh, says that we should pray for one another, and a lot of our fundamentalist and and non-Catholic brothers and sisters have a have a problem with that, they say it's like a forbidden contact with the dead. Um, passages in Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 11. In fact, he has not because he at times has given it. For example, when he had Moses and Elijah appear with Christ to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay. So when the apostles physically saw Moses and Elijah, um, they were just as alive as Christ was after he transfigured. They were all kind of that white appearance. Um, They had been assumed into heaven body and soul. Hmm. We'll get to that with Mary as well, because that's (laughs) going to happen too. Um, But clearly, they were just as alive as Christ was at that moment in the eyes of those apostles to understand, um, I'm seeing them that there. Okay, so um, in Matthew 17, what God has forbidden is the necromantic practice of conjuring up spirits. There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination, a soothsayer, or an augur, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For these nascent nations, which you are about to dispossess, 
Give heed to soothsayers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise you up for you, a prophet like me from among you, from your brethren. Him you shall see. He, him you shall heed. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 15. Um, yes, it tells us we're not supposed to do any of those things. We're not supposed to conjure up the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking to people who are alive in Christ in heaven is not conjuring up the dead. It's mm-hmm. a completely different subject matter, right? Um, God tells us we shouldn't do that thing uh, for the purpose of gaining information, right? Um, we're supposed to look to God's prophets, right? What so, kind of information? Like things that you want to know about the future. Like who am I going to marry? Oh, Are my kids going to grow so, up and be healthy and successful? It's so almost like horoscope type of stuff. Right, okay, absolutely. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so we're not to hold a seance, you know, because anyone with an ounce of common sense can discern the vast quantitative difference between holding a seance and um, having the dead speak to you through uh, through you and a son humbly saying at his mother's grace, Mom, please pray for Jesus to me. I'm having a real problem now, right? We can't, right. We can't equate that As opposed to saying that on a Ouija board. Right, right. Madam Arcadi at her crystal ball saying, right. Ooh, I see something in your future. <laughs> I see something in your future. Oh, this dead person's telling me this information right. is completely different than having somebody look at you who is gone um, or you're looking at them, I should say, and they're gone, and you say, please pray for me. I need your help. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, on top of that, I, I use this example in RCA all the time, and I know you've heard me say it. Okay, um, I might need to fix the potholes in Nashville because they're tearing my car apart, right? Oh, they're bad here. So <laughs> I'm going to go to the congressman and say, hey, can you do something about this? Um, if I gripe to Casey about it, Though she's one of my BFFs, we're sitting here. I don't know that she's going to be able to do anything about it. I'm probably not going to be able to do anything about it. Let's face it. But the congressman might have an ear that he can take to the correct place and actually do something about it. Sure. Though saints in heaven happen to be sitting slightly closer to God Mm -hmm. than any one of us here on this planet. Mm -hmm. So as much as I always appreciate those who I ask to pray for me and my intentions and my intercessions... It's not that those go unheard. They don't. Right. They don't. But if you ask someone in heaven, like they're sitting in a closer seat to God. Does that not make sense that they'd be a really good option for you to utilize? Right. If they're alive in Christ, if they're a part of the same church, they're in a good place. Right. Kev, the concept of prayers to saints, a lot of people believe that it betrays the restricted notion of heaven. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and one comes from anti-Catholic Lorraine Bettner. How then can a human being such as Mary hear the prayers of millions of Roman Catholics in many different countries praying in many different languages all at the same time? Hmm. Yeah. Good concept. So in his book, Roman Catholicism, he says, let any priest or layman try to converse with only three people at the same time and see how impossible that is for a human being. Mm -hmm. The objections against prayer to Mary apply equally against prayers to the saints, for they too are only creatures infinitely less than God, able to be at only one place at a time and to do only one thing at a time. Yes. How then can they listen to and answer thousands upon thousands of petitions made simultaneously in many different lands and in many different languages? 
Many such petitions are expressed not orally, but only mentally, silently. How can Mary and the saints, without being like God, be present everywhere and know the secrets of all hearts? <laughs> isn't that isn't that interesting? It is, because I almost think it's funny, because like if being in heaven were being like the next room, then of course these objections would be real, okay? Right. Um, but a mortal, unglorified person in the next room would indeed suffer the restrictions imposed by the way space and time work in our universe, right? They wouldn't be able to hear three conversations at once. But again, in our universe. Our universe, right? God is outside of our universe. Yeah. And if you're perfected and living with God in heaven... Mm-hmm. You're not restricted to our universe, no. right? Okay. But the saints aren't in the next room. They're not subject to time space limitations of this lifetime. It doesn't imply that any of those saints in heaven are omniscient and they know all the things that God knows as God is for only through God uh, is it that they can willingly communicate with others in heaven or even with us. And Bentner's argument about petitions arriving in different languages um, is even farther off the mark. Sure. Because... What is a language to God? We all pray to God in our own language. He knows them all. Um, If we are no longer in in this plane of existence and we're all existing together in heaven, do we have a different language? No. No. It's it's all common, right? So does anyone all be able to understand each other? Right. So anyone uh, does does anyone really think that in heaven the saints are restricted to like English? Only English or only French? Right. Right. After all, it's God himself who gives the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues, right? We saw that in the book of Acts right? Like at, at the birth of the church. Surely those saints in Revelation understand the prayers they are shown to be offering to God are heard from every person around the world. Because if you think about it, I mean, it's a very humanistic standpoint, right? Absolutely. We, that, that's how we communicate as humans. Right. So this right. is such a far off from our our understanding or our ability to understand right. that that that's what he's trying to get into. And you know, one of my small favorite pieces of scripture is when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to say to Peter, like you're acting like Satan or you're evil. That translates to you're thinking like a human being and not as God thinks. So, of course, we're humans. We're not going to think like God thinks. It's next to impossible for us to understand God. Mm-hmm. We're not going to think like that. Therefore, we think linearly. We think the way we are in this plane of existence in this universe. But God can do anything he wants. He's not limited to what we know as humans. In our sacraments, in this universe, if he wants us to be able to hear prayers of all the people around the world, why can't that happen? Right. Prove to me otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. You keep saying it can't happen. Prove to me otherwise. Right. There it is. When I enter into these conversations, though, yep. with some of my non-Catholic friends, yep. um, that they they question why am I praying to saints um, or praying with saints, and and I do try to explain that they are like friends. However, they always come back with why not. D- Pray directly to Jesus. Sure. And you know what? I have to say, I really like what you said, because oftentimes we'll hear this as prayer to saints. Um, and it is because we're communicating directly with them, but it's actually praying with them because what you're doing is asking them to intercede on your mm-hmm. behalf. It's not like you're just asking them to deliver something for you. They have no power. They have no right. authority. They can't do that on their own. They take that prayer to God just like you would, right? Right. Okay. So there's that. But the answer is, of course, you know, everybody should pray to Jesus. That's what we should do. But that doesn't mean that it's also not a good thing to ask others 
to pray for us as well. Um, ultimately, the go directly to Jesus, Je- go directly to Jesus. Wow, that's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> objection. It kind of boomerang boomerangs back on the one who makes it. So why should we ask any Christian in heaven or on earth to pray for us if we can just ask Jesus, right? And you should. And you should. But the whole point is, why do I need to ask you if I'm asking Jesus? Right. But Jesus told us to pray for one another. He did. He told us to he pray did. for one another, right? That's a job that we that we have and we're supposed to do. So if the mere fact that we can go straight to Jesus prove that we should ask no Christian in heaven to pray for us, then what, Then it would also prove that we should ask no Christian on earth to pray for us as mm-hmm. well. We've already established mm-hmm. we're one church. So if we're in heaven, we're alive in Christ there. If we're on right. earth, we're alive in Christ here. We're all one church. Why can't we ask them? If we can't ask them, I can't ask you, mm-hmm. right? That's right. the argument. Prove me wrong. There it is. And that's such a beautiful way of looking at it. It is. Because death seems really scary to a lot of people. But when you look at it is that you're not really dying if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. You're always alive. Right. Right. You are never dead. You might, you, you will leave your earthly being, but you're always going to be alive. You're going to be alive in Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's beautiful. And praying for each other is simply a part of what we Christians do. Um, as we saw in First Timothy, Paul strongly encouraged Christians to intercede for a lot of different things. And that passage by no means is unique in his writings. Elsewhere, uh, Paul directly asked others to pray for him. We see that in Romans, Ephesians, Thessal- First, Th- First and Second Thessalonians. And he assured them that he was praying for them as well. Uh, most fundamentally, Jesus himself requires us to pray for others and not only for those who ask us to do so. Mm-hmm. And we see that in Matthew. Right. Yep. So I think one of the things that is really difficult for us as Catholics um, is it's not unusual. It's not abnormal. It's not out of the ordinary. There's absolutely nothing wrong with us asking one another to pray for each other or asking any of the saints that we know of in heaven to intercede on our behalf as well. Right. It's and you've made it so apparent that it is so highly recommended. Of course. That we pray for one another right. in Scripture. Right. Um, and I think that's beautiful. Totally it is. Kev, it's time for questions. Totally cool. All right. All right. What's our first one? So this one, um, it's kind of coming from me okay. in a way. Okay. Um, so, you know, me, my life right now, I'm going through a lot of career changes. Sure. And, of course, I ask you to pray for me. Yeah, and, of course. And, and you know I, I ask, Yeah. And I ask my friends a lot to pray for me also because, you know, they, they say, is there anything I can do? And I say, of course, pray for me. I yeah. always need prayers. Yep. Um, but they think it's really weird when I say that I'm praying to my patron saint about um, to help with my career changes and my right. career choices right. and, and things going on in my life. And they think I'm really weird. Right. So why why is that? Let's establish one thing really quickly. Uh, I mentioned this a lot in RCIA. When we talk about prayer, if we just go back like 400 and some odd years to the time of Shakespeare, right? Um If I were going to ask you a question, I would say, Casey, I pray thee, right? And so if I look at it from that perspective, 
I'm not praying to you, right? I'm not, I'm not asking you to do anything. Mm -mm. That phrase literally means Casey, can I ask you? Oh, right. So interesting. I pray thee just 400 and some odd years ago meant something very different than prayer today or our our non-Catholic brothers and sisters in our Catholic to non-Catholic dictionaries. Um, Prayer always equates worship to a non-Catholic, but to Catholics, we can pray and it doesn't necessarily mean worship. If we're praying to God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the Trinity in general, um, they deserve all of the worship solely. And therefore we are worshiping them. But if I pray to a saint, which we've already established, I kind of like that phrase, Mm -hmm. pray with a saint. Right. Um, It's literally a communication. I'm asking them to do something for me. I'm not expecting them to have any authority to do anything about it or be able to answer that on their own. They have to take Mm -hmm. that to God, and God is the final arbiter of all of that information, not the saint. Right. Yeah? So I pray thee. um, I'm in communication. Right. I ask you. Mm -hmm. I ask you. Will you? So even if we pray to someone, um, that doesn't mean I'm worshiping someone. That means I'm talking to you. Sure. Hey, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, this Justin. Okay. Is keeping statues or pictures of saints idolatry? Wow. Which is a really that's a great question. It is because a great I do hear that, and I, of course, as coming from a cradle Catholic, someone who is raised Catholic, we always had um, Mary or right. um, you know Jesus in our house and. Um, even other saints, right, or pictures of, or prayer cards, icons, right? any of those, icons, things, right? any of those, yeah. And that wasn't weird to me until I started really communicating with some non-Catholics, sure. Um, and and they do very strongly feel that it's idolatry. Well, here's the thing: um, in your purse, or your wallet, or your uh, billfold, or anything. Um, do people carry on pictures of their family? Of course they do. Yeah, you carry on, like, I have pictures of my mom and dad. I have pictures of my dogs. I have no kids, so I don't carry pictures That's of sweet. them. That's I don't have pictures but of I, anybody. But I literally, <laughs> I literally have a lot of pictures that I carry around so that every time I open my wallet, I'm reminded mm-hmm. of the beautiful memory of that person. I have a picture of my grandmother in there. She's been long gone since I was 33 years old. That was 25 years ago. And so... If we look at it from that perspective, like, I'm not worshiping her. I'm not idolizing her. I'm not making her an idol. Every time I open my wallet, I see my my grandma or my parents, and it makes me think of good things, and it makes me love them, right? So what is the difference in being reminded by a statue of Mm -hmm. Mary or Jesus or the infant of Prague or St. John Mm -hmm. or St. Matthew or your patron saint or anybody like, all it does is to remind you of that person. Right. And perhaps maybe cast a prayer in that direction mm-hmm. to help remind yourself of that. So, and for me, I mean, I don't really have anybody in my wallet, but just pictures around the house. I mean, sure. of course I have pictures of family right. or nieces and nephews or godchildren. I have them all over my house. So why would I not put the Blessed Mother or Jesus right. or my patron saint, why would I not put them around it's, my house? It's not idolatry. It's it, not. You're not idolizing anyone. It's just to remind you. Of course. Always. 
And I know I've mentioned this a couple of times, my patron saint. Right. So what is a patron saint? Patron saint. Okay, so if you're a patron of the arts, right, you commission people to do things and they're somebody that you can look up to and you know that they're supporting you, right? Mm -hmm. A patron is someone who supports you. So let's say you're a lawyer and you are a Catholic and you're confirmed and you pick St. Thomas More, who happened to be a lawyer, that wouldn't give in to um, the Anglican Church when... Uh, the Catholic Church was being shunned upon in England, um, and he was put to death for it. He never recanted his Catholic faith, right? He's he's a patron saint of lawyers because mm-hmm. he did it. St. Peregrine, he's the patron saint of cancer. Like, if you ha- are somebody who has cancer or you know someone who has cancer, it's always good to communicate with him because, obviously, he knows what it's like mm-hmm. to have cancer. He had And giant... we all like to talk to people that know right, our issues. right. Right. You have issues with your dog, St. Rocco. Like, you want to know that, like, you have somebody to go to that that mm-hmm. is understands your dog's plight. Or the earth, St. Francis. Or any anybody. You know, like, any right. any job, any anything. So your patron is the person who supports you. Of course. Meaning that your patron saint is a support. But again, they're in a higher place in heaven mm-hmm. than we are here on earth. Sure. So, folks, this has been a great episode, and thank you for your questions. And uh, as always, if you have anything that you want to email us about or maybe talk about, we can do that. But uh, thanks for joining us on The Right Stuff. And yeah. hey, Casey, that diamond, diamond cocktail. Diamond cocktail. All right, all right. Cheers, we, y'all. We'll see you soon. Spawn and Bohem. The Right Stuff with Kevin and Casey. 